Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the all-in-one daily drink to promote better health and peak performance. We here at Swissper know that even with a balanced diet, it's difficult to cover all your nutritional bases. That's where Athletic Greens will help. With its complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, it is no common drink, but straight up nutritional insurance for your body delivered right to your doorstep. And let's be honest, you can't really take off as an entrepreneur if you don't have the right fuel. I myself use Athletic Greens first thing in the morning. One simple scoop in a glass of water means my energy levels stay consistently high throughout my day. Athletic Greens tastes delicious, and it manages to do so while containing no more than one gram of sugar and being compatible with any diet you can imagine. Vegan, paleo, keto, you name it. So if you're ready to become the entrepreneur of your dreams, head on over to athleticgreens.com slash to claim our special offer today and receive a free D3K2 wellness bundle with your first purchase. That's up to a one year supply of vitamin D. Very important for the coming winter months. And you know what's also winter essential? Listening to Swisspreneur. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com slash And now on with the show. Ideas in my view are worthless. Businesses are what it matters and what will create value. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Lisa, very well, welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Very nice to be here, Sylvan. You are the CEO and founder of Comet Health, a platform that secures, integrates, and also streamlines all communication in healthcare organization. I think that's a very hot topic at the moment, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm, but first, right. we want to focus on your personal background. You have a very international background. You grew up in Romania, spent some time in the US, studied in Barcelona, and also in Switzerland. And I just wonder, how has this international background shaped you to also then later become an entrepreneur? Yeah, that's, um, that's very interesting. Um, I think generally I'm a very, very curious person. So it was um, important for me to have probably all these different experiences and stages in life um, that eventually led me to building a company. Um, I think through my studies, I learned a lot about working with other people um, coming from very different backgrounds, cultures, but also uh, interests. Um, so this was very interesting on one side. And um, yeah, I think um, you also like develop your brain through all these group works, projects that you have during the universities um, in a way that afterwards help you be pragmatic, take decisions faster, structure your work plan and so on. Mm-hmm. But then after studying, you decided to go the corporate way first. You worked for Schindler and Swarovski, for example, instead of starting your company right away. Why did you decide to to take this step and and work for others, work for large corporates instead of creating your first startup right away? Yeah, I, um, you know, when I was uh, in my early 20s um, or late teens, um, I always had this idea that eventually I would like to be self-employed or become an entrepreneur. Where did that come from? 
Um, I was reading this book uh, from Stephen Covey, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it was um, a chapter um, where it was basically describing that you should think about the end life. How would you like people to remember you at the end of your life? Or how you would you like yourself to, to go on the other side in peace? And it's a very interesting exercise because then I was thinking, okay, um, you start actually basically with what you do not want. <laughs> <laughs> what was that for you? Um, well, I didn't want to fall into a stereotype or to do something that people, people or society or parents or friends uh, expect from you to do because of certain beliefs. And so on. So, you know, like when you normally uh, go to University of Sangal and people would expect that you will end up uh, being a consultant or go to finance, right? So this is, um, uh, and, and yeah, a long list there, but this is, uh, this was very important for me. I do not want to do something because the society or school or teachers tell me to do that. Whatever I would do, I would really want to, I really would like to have passion for it, to drive my energy. I want to wake up every morning and be glad I'm alive and be able to embrace whatever I'm doing with passion and put all my greatest energy into it. In the moment you do something just because you are supposed to, um, this will burn, um, yeah, this will um, burn you out, I believe. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, to, to get that conclusion after reading such a book is already a big step, but then an even bigger step is finding what you're really passionate about, what, you know, why you get out of the bed in the morning. Exactly. How did you can then go about that? So you knew that's what you want. That's the life that you wanted to be re remembered for, basically. Yeah. I mean, of course, this was the first, this was the first step, right? I, I first thought what I don't want to do. And then I thought, okay, uh, what are my values? What is very important for me? And I started backwards. I started with my end life goal or goals. And I cascaded it down to where I was when I was um, in my early twenties. And, um, in that journey, I realized, okay, I would, definitely want to build one or several companies um, but also in order to do that for me it's important to go through the corporate experience because this is what you asked me before why did you didn't you start a company from the beginning and I I really wanted to go to corporate to like learn get the network maybe also feel more secure from a financial perspective um, that afterwards I can maybe discover what I want to do Right. And, and this also comes to the point when I realized, okay, for me, it's very, very important to do something meaningful, mm -hmm. something uh, impactful and, um, um, and something that can, yeah, can add value to other people's life. So, um, this could be many things, right? I didn't know what, um, but um, sometimes, you know, you have to have an end life goal or several like high level milestones and then just walk. Um, uh, yeah, go with the flow, not, uh, uh, yeah, be, be water, my friend. <laughs> was that, you know, this, this meaning that you were looking for, was that also the reason that you then left the corporate world or that something was missing there? Yeah, um, I think as well in the corporate world, uh, you get a lot of experiences. And um, again, I, I worked in very international environments in both companies um, and I learned a lot. I also was part of a leadership program. So I was in different functions from marketing to strategy to sales and operations. Um, and this was also for me a, a way to learn 
as much as possible. And it was also in a way a strategy for me because I saw, okay, eventually I will, um, I will learn more, um, and from different things. And then I will eventually learn how to build a company. Um, it's not really one-to-one like that, but definitely the experiences, experience help, helps. Um, what was interesting that I also learned what I don't like. And the bigger, the most powerful the company is, the, the more politics there are. And for example, this was something that I didn't necessarily feel that would drive me. And um, also I realized, yeah, it, it, this meaning that I, I, I need to feel the meaning behind my actions and uh, the product that I'm working with has to have eventually a meaning on other people's life was growing inside of me. And I realized, um, although I, I, I think I had a good time in the corporate world, um, yeah, it was time to move on at some point. Got it. How, how did that feel? How did you realize that this moment has come, that it's actually time to move on? Was there any specific event or any feeling that you can relate to looking back? Well, I think, you know, like I mentioned that I thought about, um, you know, when I read this book <laughs> from Stephen Covey, I basically created a mantra. So I was like, I draw this my whole life somehow <laughs> on a piece of paper. You still and, have the piece of paper? Of course. And I'm, I have always been reiterating on it. Okay. So every two, three, four years, I was going back to it and I was okay. This is number one. I have to put deadlines to it. <laughs> this is number two. And then, you know, you kind of um, elaborate a bit on it and um, uh, visualize, you know, now everybody speaks about visualization. Right. I think this is also um, um, one exercise I think is very good. But when I was in the corporate world, I was always thinking, so how do you take the step? You know, you just wake up one day and you leave the corporate world and start a company. I, I didn't, I didn't know how that would work. And I was going back to my, uh, to my papers and, um, I, I didn't know, but it was important for me to always do this exercise. So I never, um, lose track of what I want to achieve. And it was also important for me to see whether I'm on the right track. So for example, my very international education was part of the plan. If I have to think about that, I realized that in order for me to like really build an international company and fulfill my dreams, I need to surround myself with very international people. And this, you can pursue it in the moment you, um, yeah, you do your education abroad. Mm -hmm. So this was also part of the plan. Can you share any points or goals that you have on your current piece of paper for these life goals? Because I'm sure that people will be very interested to listen to what specifically you wrote down there to better relate to it? So I think one of them is definitely creating a company. And I think this is also why we are talking now. <laughs> um, so I always thought that um, um, probably the big, um, the best version of myself will be in the moment I can create something. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know whether I am or not an entrepreneur um, at that stage. But this was, um, yeah, it was a gut feeling. Let's put it like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I just uh, basically started. And by starting, I was going to a lot of events um, where you can meet other fellow entrepreneurs or people who are very different than yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I think in the moment you are in a specific environment, you tend to hang out with people who are very similar to you or people who you 
want to become like, but um, companies in, in, a, in a successful company, in my view, you need to have people with very different backgrounds, skills, um, an interest in order to make that company work. So I was going to meetups like Lean Meetup, for example, or Startup Weekends or, yeah, a, a bunch of conferences uh, for entrepreneurs to surround myself with, with uh, people from different backgrounds. And, um, and you know, from one thing to the other, you start opening up to ideas and you start pitching ideas, you know, like it starts very, very basic, but then you realize that in that environment, you have this passion, um, and this excitement to, to create something, to do something. And this grew inside of me. And, um, I personally realized that in those environments, for, for example, in the startup weekend where twice I won with, with the idea I had, I realized this is, this was the best version of myself. And I really need to pursue this to figure it out whether, yeah, becoming an entrepreneur will really, um, drive that inner, inner passion, inner energy. And, um, yeah, looking back, I think it was the best decision of my life. So if I understood that correctly, you first put like, it was more or less a hypothesis where you said, this is the goal that I think is, is right for me. And then you went out and tested and it actually felt great. Like the, the best version of yourself. So that then basically confirmed that this was the right goal to, to go after for you. Yeah, exactly. So I, 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 I fully, um, emerged into, into this experience. And, um, I think it was, it was so important for me to, um, yeah, to, 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 to go on this journey. And it was step by step. As I said, it took me like maybe one and a half years to two years until I, um, left my corporate job from the moment I started this exploration because I, I cannot call it anything else than an exploration. And I realized in the moment you open up to, um, um, uh, to, to ideas, you become very creative. So you start to see a lot of problems and then you think, okay, this problem is a solution and you come up with a, a solution. And because I meet a lot of people who tell me, yeah, I don't have a good idea. I want to be an entrepreneur. Ideas in my view are worthless. Businesses are what it matters and what will create value. And a business, you can just create it with the people that are driven to basically bring an idea to life. I think it's very unlikely that, um, that nobody else thought about the idea you thought, especially in today's society, unless you are a researcher and you, uh, yeah, you find a cure for, for aging, for example. I think their ideas can also be looked at as a sort of a, a vertical. So if mm -hmm. you have the best execution, which is crucial to make a successful startup happening, but if the idea is super bad, then even the best execution will not get you too far, right? Exactly. But at the same time, if you have great execution and also a good or at least solid idea, it can take you so much further. And I exactly. Think exactly. So I think the idea is... There are many... You, you first of all have to start with a problem, I would think, right? And then... Once you found the problem, um, try to find different solutions and you might pivot because maybe if you really find the, a problem, 
then it doesn't mean that it's only one solution. So maybe you try solution one, it works or it doesn't work. Then you start solution two, it might work or not. So I think as if you really want to, to create something and you're very passionate about as an entrepreneur, you need to be also very flexible on the way to be able to, um, to, to create value. And I think this is what I feel. Yeah, I think this is what few people underestimate. So let's talk about that specific problem. So how did you find the right problem to solve with your company? Yeah, before starting Comet Health, I was um, playing with different ideas. And those ideas were um, born from different problems I had. Mm -hmm. So I know the healthcare system in Switzerland is very advanced, but for whatever reason, um, every time I went to the doctor, something bad happened. So once the diagnostic was wrong, once the invoice was wrong. So I was probably very unlucky, but also probably this was definitely a driver for me to realize there is a lot of opportunity for improvement. And, um, I remember, um, um, yeah, uh, I went to a startup weekend and before that I was reading this article saying that, um, the third cause of death is medical error as 70% of the reported cases are because of inefficient communication between different healthcare providers, um, Quarter of a million of people die every year in U.S. because of this reason. 1,500 in Switzerland and, and on and on and on. You find so much research on this topic. And for me as a patient or as, as a citizen, it was shocking to come across to these numbers. And, um, and I had to understand why is that, especially when in our modern society, uh, again, we are used to to use all these different gadgets and platforms and technologies like Slack, like WhatsApp, like uh, you name it, um, that m enable us to communicate faster, but also to collaborate and be more efficient in our work. So I was thinking, okay, if Slack, which is a, is a decacorn, <laughs> um, uh, is able to do this for teams, uh, why a, a similar solution doesn't exist in healthcare for doctors and nurses. And, um, and then I remember in the startup weekend, I came with this idea. Uh, this is where I met also my business partner, Mark. And, um, yeah. And then, uh, we went in that weekend in a hospital. Um, we went to three hospitals, uh, one big university hospitals, a big private clinic, and we were shocked to see how doctors are are working with pagers, with decked phone, with fax. And we really sensed the frustration of the medical staff. Um, I remember I met this nurse and she would go on and on about her frustration, the fact that she cannot communicate, she cannot find a doctor when she needs, that she spends so much time of her of her shift to just find easy information that she needs. Uh, another doctor was mentioning um, how many interruptions he gets. And then we, of course, pursued um, uh, a research and we found out that a doctor gets interrupted 12 times an hour and 80% of those interruptions are not urgent. So you can actually send it via a message, like asynchronous communication. And more and more after this moment, I fell in love with the problem. So I would say this was in May 2016. 
when this idea was created, the seed was planted, uh, the seed uh, the seed was created. Um, and in the first year, all we have done mostly was going from hospital to hospital, really trying to understand the problem mm -hmm. and uh, try to find a standard way to solve that problem. And uh, yeah, so this is this was the journey. Long answer to your quick question. <laughs> I think there, there are two particular points that I especially like. First, you started with your own personal experience and problem. And I think that's a very powerful way of, of starting or a very powerful point on where to start. You, you want to solve your own problems because I think that this is also the, the thing that keeps you going when things get tough. Exactly. I, I think, you know, things, as you know yourself as an entrepreneur, things get always tough. Way or another. Sooner or later, yeah. So it's definitely a roller coaster um, every day, every week. Um, and um, what keeps me going, and sometimes I, you know, in the worst moments that we ever had, I was, I had to to write down, I said, why am I doing this? Is um, And um, every time I was so sure about my answers, And this was the reassurance for me that I'm, I'm doing the right things, right? So this is not just a little startup I just one day decided to build. It's really an idea that has so much potential. And um, also by going to the hospital and spending so much time with doctors and nurses, this is when this idea grew inside of me because you feel the frustration of the people that have to still work with um, IT infrastructure from the 70s. And, and when I, I was several times in the shock room and I witnessed error in my, with my own eyes, I, and I couldn't believe that this is possible in one of the biggest university hospitals in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And, and this gr grows inside of you and you realize this is not a problem only in Switzerland or in US. It's a, international global problem. Um, medicine became an art of managing extreme complexity. You have uh, a type of doctor for every bone and cell in your body. So it's super fragmented. And then the IT infrastructure is built with the old mindset and doctors really struggle to collaborate faster to take decisions. That's actually the, the second part that really struck me with your answer before that you went to clinics, to hospitals and really asked them for the feedback. We're going to talk about how you developed the prototype in a second. Before we do so, I want to also talk about your co-founder situation because first you started out alone and you were actively looking for a co-founder. So my question is, why did you have this need to look for an additional co-founder and decided to not just do it yourself? Um, well... Do you think you can do everything by yourself in life? Of course not. But I know that there are people that, that have that impression and that th think like, I can hire people, but I remain the, the solo founder. I do not personally believe in solo founders unless you are a freelancer providing services. Or Elon Musk. <laughs> not even. <laughs> I think you need to, you need to have a partner in crime. Um, that complements you, um, that is there in the moment you have struggled, but also you have wins, so you have somebody to celebrate with, but right. also somebody who can 
who can help in the moment it gets tough. Um, and I personally believe no one is perfect and nobody can do it all. Um, and, and people are also motivated in the moment um, they can create some, someone. Of course, if you have unlimited, um, unlimited um, money in your bank account, you could hire, you could argue, you could hire anyone. But this is not really how it works. You want people to be, um, yeah, sweat and blood invested in the company. And nobody else could um, if they are not part of the inception, if they are not founders, in my view. True. So it's, it's the same mentality for me when you hire people like senior management at the beginning. Uh, it's very important to motivate those people also with equity in the company, for example. So you want to make sure that you sit in the same boat, basically. Yes, exactly. Because um, I, I, I think it's so important that you, you, you have people motivated by the same reason that you as a founder are motivated. And um, yeah, I think when you have a good founding team, you can go through a lot of things together because at the end of the day, it's everything about people. You are in, you're doing, you told me before that you do sales and business development. It's all about people. Um, you cannot sell something if you don't build a trust and you don't have this connection with people. And I think building a company, this is, in building a company, this is fundamental. And how did you told us that you went to startup weekends and meetups to also find a co-founder, but how do you actually evaluate? Because I can imagine many people are in, in similar shoes and think, I have an idea, I, I, but I need someone, a, a partner in crime to really build the business. So how do you find a good co-founder at these events? How do you select the right people and how do you determine whether this is a good fit or not? Hey, you will never know if it's a good fit or not. You have to sometimes go with your gut feeling because, um, yeah, you, you, you have a lot of models. Like you can go through an Excel file and say exactly what you need and uh, who has what and who doesn't have what to personality tests and you name it, uh, which we also did. But I think in the end is it's a gut feeling and it's, it's it's not for granted. I think uh, having a partner to work with every single day is like almost like marriage. Uh, statistically, less more than fifty percent of marriages fail. Statistically, in startups, even worse. So, I think you just need to listen to your gut feeling and make sure that the founding team can bring the company from zero to one. Um, because maybe after the company is on a stable track or a sustainable business, even if things goes wrong, um, you can hire a management team, a senior management team, right? And I think it's also very important. What was for us very, very important is to um, to share the same values, because at the end of the day, if you can be extremely different, but if you do not share the same values that are important for building this company, it will not work out. And discuss early on uh, what if. What if 
one of us cannot be in the pos- that position anymore? What if somebody offers us a big check after two years? What if? And I, having these what if questions helps you as founders get to know each other better. This is my view. And how I found Mark, for example, and how he found me. Um, it, look, I, I told you, I planned this seed. I wanted, I knew that I, I need to build a company, right? And I believe in this sometimes serendipity. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, you really, you have a vision, um, but then you have to find means to create it. And as, as I, I said before, a founder is one of them. I was just um, going to a lot of events. I had several ideas, as I also said. Some of them, I think they were very good. I still will invest in them, for example, today after all these so years. So people should contact you if they're looking for ideas. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but um, for me, it was I, I was even dragged to some ideas, uh, founders matched by investors with other founders to join their ideas. And in the end, I realized it doesn't work. So I was not stuck so much on my idea or my, my problem. I was mostly stuck on the idea of finding a partner in crime. And I spent probably more than a year, year and a half to find this person. And I went from different ideas to different ideas, which also made people from outside maybe thinking maybe she's not so focused because she... But for me, the focus was finding a good partner in crime to build a company. Did you all these idea testing, did you do them like during your job that you still had at the corporate or um, when was that switch happening? So some of them were when I was in my job okay. um, and they are very diverse from food to travel to health. <laughs> and uh, Quite same. a journey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, depending how you, you think about it, the one with food related was also a healthy option. So it's still in the health space, well-being. Um, and actually, the um, reason why I left the corporate world um, was for a different idea. It was not for Comet Health, which was also in the healthcare space. And um, yeah, um, and then I started working on that. I even had customers, but I didn't have a founder. And my most important priority was to find the founder. And also through that experience, that idea being in healthcare, I started to speak with doctors, with nurses. I started to go to healthcare events. I started to read a lot about the different topics, trends in the healthcare space. And this is how Comet Health was born. Basically, the, the smooth transition. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, let's talk about your product. We heard the importance of asking your clients or potential clients for feedback and really talking to them. You developed the first pilot with the Inselspital in, in Bern. Please tell us a bit more how you actually won them over, because I can imagine that was already like not the easiest thing to do, and how you then developed the pilot together with such a big organization. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's a, definitely a journey. So... I think it's important to mention that when I started this company, I I didn't have a healthcare background. I didn't have a technology background and I never built a company before. <laughs> so the perfect place to start, basically. Perfect place to start. Um, but I had um, a really um, 
fantastic desire to make it happen. <laughs> if I call it, if I, if I can call it like that. Sure. Um, but also in the moment you start from scratch, you are very, very curious and you, um, you are like a sponge when it comes to acquiring information. And as I told you in the first year, I just spent time from um, basically going from hospital to hospital, um, asking doctors and nurses on the whole of the hospital in the lunch break when I realized they were um, easier, easy to approach, uh, asking them for, for feedback on and talking about their problems. And in this journey, this is how we met the first, the first, let's say, early adopters or the f innovators who were who were willing to give us more advice and even become our advisors, um, and recommend us to other fellows, doctors, um, and this is how it kind of was built from from a network effect, I would call it, right. If you're enjoying this episode of Swisspreneur, please don't forget to rate our show on Apple Podcasts. It helps us do bigger and better things, and to do them all for free. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Let's just one quick follow-up question there. Like, what did he ask these people? Did he also just like hang out where they were having lunch to to ask them, or what were you know what was the interaction with them? Did you offer them anything? Did you just ask questions? How do you make that happen and actually got the interaction going? Because that first step is already something that many ongoing entrepreneurs think like, I have no clue how I should go about this. So how did you do that specifically? Mm, yeah. So we have put together a document with uh, different specific questions we had and we built like four or five scenarios and we were asking doctors to tell us how do they... Um, yeah, which one do they identify themselves with? And, um, and um, yeah, it was sort of a questionnaire. Um, and um, this was in actually in the first four months because I remember after winning that startup weekend, we said we need 100 interviews. And based on these 100 interviews, we decide whether we go in in this thing or not, uh, depending on the feedback that we get from from doctors and nurses and the feedback was positive more than 97 percent i think only two doctors basically said uh, they were not so confident um and um yeah and basically when we were going to talk to them we were asking them if you know, we, we were telling them, look, we want, we are doing a small research. We have nothing to sell you. We just want to understand how you work. Um, we can share with you the materials afterward. If you're interested, you can get involved more in the project. And I think also like this is something interesting because you also asked me how we acquired the first customer. Uh, doctors are very interested in research. Not all of them, obviously, but many doctors in the moment they, they, they are innovators. Some of them are really innovators and they want to, they want to write papers or be part of different research or, yeah, um, bring innovation in the hospital. So, um, this is how we also acquired our first customer, which was an Inselspital. 
um, in emergency and in the radiology, these doctors are very future, future thinking. They have a vision. They immediately understood our vision. And they immediately also understood the problem we want to solve because they have it every day. So that there was a lot of frustration. But of course, these um, physicians are in, um, in top position. They, they are clinical directors. So they don't necessarily deal with the problem firsthand every single day as much as a nurse or a resident would deal with. But they were very interested in the research and in bringing this innovation to, to their environment. So this is how we acquired them by we we put together a study we wanted to do together. Uh, we wanted to show um, um, how can we reduce interruptions by having a secure messaging platform, and we did that. We did a study coupled with our pilot, our first pilot, coupled with our pilot, which was done with our prototype version of our product. So it was not um, it was not the product we have today, the scalable product. But it was good enough to be used by 200 physicians. Nice. So, um, yeah, we were ha- we were able to prove that we can reduce interruptions by 50% with that study. We were able to prove that we can reduce um, specific workflows, um, reduce the time for specific workflows like protocol and, and so on. And um, generally the feedback was very good and also the requirements that they asked for um, helped us develop the real product. So for us, it was very important to be in the hospital um, in all these different pilots to, to learn how to build the real product. Of course, the product also was not, it was far from being perfect. So there were also um, some some doctors who were not so happy to be part of this research because they realize this is a research, so it's not a solution that would be implemented tomorrow. But some others, they were super happy because they knew that they can develop something, co-develop something with us, and we are actually implementing their requirements. I think this is also a bit of a Swiss mentality thing, right? Because we often do expect the, the perfectly polished product and the finished product from day one on, basically. I think there you can do a lot with the proper communication and also focusing, as you did, on the innovators, the early adapters, that you really find the right people that also support and are okay with not having a perfectly functioning product yet. Exactly. So I think also um, also one key learning for other founders are they there or you need to be very comfortable with no. <laughs> you will get a lot of no's. And a lot of people will hate you, <laughs> almost. <laughs> um, and especially when, um, when, as you said, your product at that moment is not uh, is not state of the art. It's still in development. Uh, it's still in the prototype. Um, but of course, like in every other industry, you have the early adopters, the ones who are super excited. They, they see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. You have the followers who just do whatever. And you have the ones who will basically will not necessarily adopt it and they will, yeah, they will try to, to push back. So you need to, in my view, you need to focus on the ones who are willing to give you the time and um, the ones who are the early adopters, because if those you build a product for those, 
um, in a way that they love it, you will be able to convince all the others. I think if you try to please everyone from day one, you will not be, you will not be able and you will discourage yourself. Um, it was also a very interesting saying from one of the founders from Airbnb who said, you know, uh, at the beginning he was, um, he built a product which is not scalable exactly how we also did it, but it made sure that the first hundred users were very happy. They were loving his product and he was going and living with them on the sofa to understand really how to build Airbnb. And I totally re relate to that. Um, you really need to develop the first product with the people who are going to use it every day. And once you pass that threshold of a meaningful number of people who like your product, um, then you can build the real scalable product. And yes, yeah, an entrepreneur, I remember at the beginning, I thought, yeah, this is the product that we will scale <laughs> upon, you know, and then we learned yeah, well, if we really want to scale uh, in the way that we want to scale our product with different hospital systems, that was not the product. But it was an extremely valuable learning for us that helped us develop that product that we basically have now. I wonder how did you actually identify and find the innovators, the early adapters? Were the interviews helpful there or was there any other, you know, selection criteria also in retrospect that you can say, that's how we best identified them. Because I can imagine you only have a certain amount of time available, right, per day. And you, you need to make a decision with whom you spend that time. And do you want to ideally spend it with the early adapters, with the innovators, and not with the people that say that take a lot of your time, but then eventually say no in the, in the end. So how do you go about that to find the right people to move forward in the head? I think it's learning by doing. Um, and to be honest, you find this very often with investors, even more than with users. Like through the contacts of investors or? Yeah, I mean, the investors many times you, when you start building a company because you do not know how the whole investment process goes, um, there are a lot of investors who are just wasting your time and you are wasting theirs. Yeah. Um, so you, and, and this you learn. At the beginning, you have to speak with everyone to understand what, how is the game? Because in, you know, how does this work? Once you become more experienced, then it's easier to, to, yeah, to divide people. Um, well, I, to be honest, I really took the, I, I used to call it the gunshot approach. So <laughs> what's that? <laughs> which basically means like you talk to anyone. Um, I remember I was having this conversation with Mark, my business partner. I said, Lisa, I go to all these events. Does it bring anything? Why do you go? You spend so much time on this. And you know, all these events that you normally would think they would not bring anything. This you meet some contacts that make an introduction to, for example, the clinic director in Inselspital, who basically afterwards became our first customers. So... You, and then he, I remember, I, and then when he realized this is how it works, oh, okay, you can go. I, I encourage you to go to all events possible that you can go. <laughs> but of course, at the beginning, it's hard to, to segment or decide which event is good one, then which one is bad one, especially when at the beginning you have nothing. 
you don't have customers, you don't have finances, you do not have partners, you do not have employees. You want to go to as many different places to meet as many different people that can help you build this business. And um, yeah, I think um, when it comes to users per se or to customer per se, I think it also applies. We, we didn't segment it, oh, now we start with... Um, elderly homes or we start with a university hospital mm -hmm. it was rather opportunistic but if i have to like really give you a specific answer to this question i would say that uh in the moment you have a product for a hospital it's easier to interact with public hospitals like big university hospitals because here the clinical directors are very interested in research whereas if you go to a private hospital like here's London or Swiss Medical Network when you have nothing to show um, um, and every second uh, costs money sure. for them uh, they would not necessarily want to be part of it mm -hmm. so the time of a physician working for a for a private hospital is different than for the one uh, working for a university hospital who next to his normal job is very much research. So basically try to find out what's important for them, what they really care about. And it, either it's the bottom line because they are a private hospital and really need to, to focus on the finances or they are really research interested and driven and therefore probably more open to talk. I think that's a, that's a good idea and suggestion. I also, I, you know, thinking back about my, my own startup, I haven't thought about the gunshot approach, as you just called it, but we actually did exactly the same. We tried every fair and every event and then saw what's working well, what's not, and then decided the, the second year very selectively where it's actually worth spending time uh, on. So I haven't really thought about that, but I, I think that we practiced the same strategy without knowing how, how it was called. Yeah. yeah, well, I, 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 I don't know if I invent, invented this term or somebody told me, but I, I really, um, know that I started very broad and now I'm, I'm very selective with the events I go to. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's a good strategy when you start from zero. You need right. to learn. Yeah. As I said, you are a sponge. Exactly. Yes. So let's also talk a bit about the second challenge that you then faced. You know, after building the prototype and, and the first product, actually, you mentioned already, you know, the scalability became a big challenge. You realized that the product that you built at first is probably not the one that you're going to use with 200, 300 clients. Mm. So how do you go about this scalability issue? What's the big challenge there and how do you solve it? Yeah, I think when it comes to scalability, for first of all, um, when you opened this talk, you mentioned, yeah, we are developing a secure, um, simple um, communication platform purposely built for healthcare organization. Mm -hmm. But next to that, the value of our product is the ability to integrate easily with all these different existing systems in the hospital. So on one side, we have the enterprise messaging part, which, to be honest, many other companies have, but the value of our product is the ability to integrate it. And I think this is where, on one side, it was very important that we build a product that can um, that can scale um, from a technical perspective, um, independent of the systems that we integrate with. Mm -hmm. And then also the other side is scaling sales because at the very beginning as a SaaS platform 
that we are a SaaS platform. Um, we are very we we were a service organization, so we we had customers, but customers were paying us for our services, for the integration, for the research that we were doing for them, um, and the product was offered for free in order for them to test it. Is that a setup that you would recommend to offer the product for free? Because there you see both sides of this word, basically. Yeah, I would say in the moment you are not sure about your product and in the moment you are st still in the piloting phase, like, I mean, like testing phase, okay. making sure that you get to this moment where you, the product is really reliable, um, enterprise level, um, secure. Um, I think it's very important to offer this pilots right um but of course in the moment you go further into the development um these pilots you still offer a trial period and you say okay um um you 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 can test the product but you can drop out uh, after two or three months so you know we do not but you still need a contract sure. because the problem is a lot of um also hospital can think, oh, it's a pilot. I can just do a little bit. I'm not committed to it. And it fails. And then even if your product was good, if you didn't have the, the commitment from the management, that pilot can fail. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, in my view, from now on moving onwards, yeah, you have a trial period. You always need to offer a trial period. But it's important that... Um, the customer pays for your product from the very beginning, right? But at the beginning, I think, um, or at least I think it was good that we did it like this. What I wanted to say um, before is from being a service company, you start with a pilot product, which is not scalable. You are basically a service company, right? You just sell your services. Then you start maybe with the first version of the scalable product, which is not perfect, but it's getting there. Um, yeah, you, again, you do a pilot, you offer the product for two, three months for free, and then you charge for integration time, um, um, implementation, workflow analysis, and so on. Um, our idea is moving forward, we become 90 5% a SaaS company and 5% service company. So you basically reverse the curve, right? And by to do this, you need to scale on one side the technology, what I mentioned, so how you integrate with all these different systems and the sales. So you don't have an army of salespeople or clinical implementation people, uh, change management and so on. And you can do this with partners. So for example, now we are uh, in... Um, we are in very close contact and discussion with a big telecom company to apply together for uh, for a big university hospital project. Um, and once we are part of that offer, we are kind of a standard offer to all the other hospitals, right? So this is how you scale your sales or your implementation. Um, also, we are working with consulting companies, so a consulting company can can implement, if a, a hospital wants to do a whole big change management around digitalization in a hospital, we are one part of it. Um, this consulting company will roll out our product uh, with our guidelines. Is there any particular like distribution or partner channel that works best for you so far? 
So I think we are also at the very beginning of it, right? Now, since um, since a year, we have this scalable product, live, um, validated, uh, and loved by users. As I have to quote a nurse, which said, "I love, I love Comet Health. It's really making my my life easier. I can easily connect with other other um, healthcare professionals." So um, now that we really have a, a scalable product, validated by user, validated business model, um, now we are really um, in the position to to partner up strategically with a lot of different partners. So we are now in discussion with many different partners from from big telecom companies to middleware providers to electronic medical record providers to technology company that maybe offer on one side similar products to ours but they are not built for hospitals they are not built including workflows so um yeah i see that the b2b2b business will exponentially grow in the next two to three years nice and you also just closed, I think you announced that one or two weeks ago that you closed a first hospital group in Ticino with seven hospitals. Congratulations on that first like big milestone for you and the company. That, that was indeed a big milestone, especially since um, this group of hospitals publicly owned in Ticino is it's quite conservative hospitals. Uh, um, and, um, for us was, um, was really interesting to see that, especially because they were probably the most affected by, um, by COVID-19 first wave. Um, they were really motivated. Uh, they wanted to roll our product out already in the crisis when we were in the pilot because they saw high, a high spike in the usage. Um, but then they basically decided formally with the board of directors right after the crisis. And now basically we are in the process of rolling out. And what is very interesting as well is like other hospitals in the region follow them now, um, in order to, to, yeah, to digitalize their communication. So in that way, although COVID-19 probably hit the hospitals on the wrong foot because they had to make a lot of space and then the space was not fully used. So they had some monetary losses. It was actually a boost for your business because they saw a need for digitizing their communication channels. It, yeah, exactly. When communication at the end is at the core of it and collaboration, and especially when you have doctors and nurses who are need to be remote, mm -hmm. this is very important and that you have an easy way to communicate because you don't want to have a solution you, when you're outside of the hospital, you can only connect to the VPN and it takes you, I don't know how long to do that and so on. Yeah. And you also don't want to be disturbed on your mobile phone uh, every single minute. Right. Um, so it is one of the, one of the reasons I think, um, and I, I, I don't think I'm, highly <laughs> confident that COVID-19 accelerated digitalization and is confirmed every day. We started to get inquiries from hospitals in Germany, um, nice. which now they, they, the, the um, uh, government provides three to four billion uh, euros to hospitals um, in order to acquire digital projects, mm -hmm. products, right? And it's the same in other countries um, around the globe. The government is financing digitalization in hospitals because they realize without it, they are basically not prepared. 
Um, and I know many hospitals, they just had to implement digital solutions overnight. Right. And communication is the first one. Absolutely. Without a communication, you can't do anything. Yeah. I think despite, you know, there are many, many bad things about COVID-19, all the, the horrible yeah. virus spread and everything, of course. But there are also statements that say, like, the, probably the best chief digital officer so far has been COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I think there's a certain <laughs> truth to that, I guess. It, it is. And I know it was this uh, image circulating on LinkedIn. Everybody yes. was reposting it. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I fully agree. I uh, Just in the middle of the crisis, we had this German hospital contacting us and the CEO said in the very first meeting, he said uh, his opening sentence, because of COVID-19, uh, we need to accelerate digitalization. Otherwise, to implement a solution like yours will take two years. And we do not wait. We don't want to wait several months. We would like to have it in a few weeks if possible. Nice. So this is really like when you realize that that's really an opportunity. But as you also said, um, yeah, I mean, what's what's happening in the world is, um, yeah, it's um, it's a generational change for all of us, right? We we need to rethink many things that we have been doing um, in the healthcare, of course, but also in other uh, other sides of life. So it seems like you will win more clients, you will win more international clients also. What else have you planned for the future? What are your plans? What's coming up next besides that? Well, definitely we need to um, uh, hire. <laughs> this is uh, one of the biggest... Um, uh, biggest topic on my agenda. Um, we have invested a lot on technology. So we have 10 engineers who have been working on developing this product. Um, and so far, um, I was mostly, um, on the business side, investor side, client side, and so on. So now, um, couple of weeks ago, we have hired a lead on the product who comes very much from really a lot of experience in, in, um, in building tech products. Um, Julien, um, he comes more from the client perspective, from the user perspective, um, bringing all these methodologies on how to really develop this product to, to the next level. Um, and now we are hiring people on uh, the business development, sales, really like the commercial part, um, uh, because I think this is very, very important. Um, I, I, I like to say if we, we have in the next one to two years, we go home or we go big. And I don't go home, I will go big. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right motivation. Exactly. But to, to, to fuel that growth, is... you also need some money, Finance I guess, thing. right? Exactly. You are <laughs> spot on. <laughs> exactly. So, so far we have raised um, about 2 million in this uh, three years since we incorporated the company. Um, and now we are um, basically raising a pre-series A, close to 3 million. That will help us uh, reach our... Uh, goal to to raise in 12 months, 12 to 18 months, a big Series A. So a com I would say a really considerable Series A. Um, and um, I think we have all the checklists that we need to get there. And we have a plan. Now we need to execute it. And um, um, this is basically, we, we just opened it um, recently and we plan to close it by end of the year. Great. So, yeah. 
to people anyone can get interested. In touch, of course. <laughs> yes. But with getting investors on board, the ones that you already have and the future investors, um, you also need to plan for an exit or a trade sale and any sort of that, right? Because they also want to see a return one day. Oh, of course. Of any course. thoughts on that? Um, sure. Uh, I, I remember I built a slide from the very beginning because an investor asked me to do it. <laughs> um, um, look, I think everybody wants to, to be the next Facebook, you know, um, and keep the company forever. But I, for me, the most important thing is that we can really build a legacy with our, with our vision. And I know that in order to make it a global company, potentially at some point, um, either we, we grow and we have an IPO mm -hmm. uh, to the level that we will need to buy different other companies to grow the company to that level. Right. Either we, we will have a trade sale, so be bought by a potential competitor, which would come from US, or a company who is doing a lot of different uh, work in the hospital space or insurance space. Um, where our product will be an, um, um, will give them the entry on this clinical um, collaboration and communication. I have already been in touch with several competitors overseas and um, they were saying that for them coming to Europe is not a priority unless they would have an M&A. And, hmm, um, we know a company. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I don't say we will sell to them, but it's sure. good to know how our competitors think who are in U.S. because I get this question quite often. And also we have a competitor in U.S. who was just sold last year okay. for a, a quarter of a million. And um, I believe that we have even a greater potential looking at what happens now in in the world. Um, and also like that company was built 10 to 12 years ago. Um, so that, that was probably for a quarter of a billion, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, said, said million, I said million. So I like, I'm so sorry. Not. Yes. No problem. <laughs> no, good catch. <laughs> Just to uh, put the numbers right. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Thank you for that. Quarter of a billion. Um, uh, what I wanted to say. Um, There's a market for it. I think that's uh, also a great sign for potential investors. Yeah, exactly. It, it, there is a there is a there is a huge market opportunity. Now, uh, every um, every actually many private hospitals are building a venture arm. Okay. Um, uh, insurance company are building a venture arm to invest in digital healthcare. Uh, I just saw one from from a big insurance company here in Switzerland. They, they announced today. Yeah. yeah, they announced today that they built this uh, digital health arm, um, and um, it, it, it's really fascinating what's happening in the market today. And I, what I wanted to say with my point before, like if we would have started in Europe ten years ago, I think we would have been too early and we would have failed. Mm -hmm. I think now we, we really created this company at an inflection point. I was sure that it is the right timing in 2019 before COVID because many hospitals want to, uh, they, they need to upgrade their technology in order to, to really become more efficient. Right. And this is what we help them. Many hospitals know that patient data is very important and by using WhatsApp is basically legal. Um, so uh, there are a lot of trends 
that actually um, help hospitals decide to purchase a solution like ours. And COVID-19 just accelerated it. I think that's, I think a, that's the right timing, right? Absolutely. That's so crucial. So before we conclude this episode, I want to learn more about some resources and gadgets that you can recommend to our listener. <laughs> what comes to mind when you think about your favorite resources like books, blogs, podcasts, or gadgets that you use yourself on a regular basis? Well, I use very much Audible. So I started two, one and a half years ago, and I absolutely love it. Uh, because I don't have probably the patience to take a book and just sit and um, <laughs> just read it. So I would always uh, want to do something else, uh, plus not enough time. But there are always a lot of dead moments in the day, like cooking or, I don't know, walking or taking the tram, which you cannot open your computer or anything else, or putting makeup. I'm sure you don't need to, but, you know... <laughs> the advantage of being a woman um, that you can use to, to listen to that. So for me, it's one book that um, I very much liked. Um, it's um, uh, from Grant Cardone, uh, Be Obsessed or Be Average. Um, the guy is quite um, yeah provocative, but I think he makes a point in his book and he's very energetic. He narrates it and I listen it twice. Um, especially when you have moments of doubt or down moments, it's a book that can really push you uh, to, um, yeah, to to really remind yourself that there will be a lot of adversity, but you are the only one deciding to go further or not. Nice. And that 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 was good for me. Um, also, I have been reading a lot of books around negotiation and. Um, yeah, generally company building. And, um, yeah, another book that I very much like is Shoe Dog. It's, uh, basically, uh, from the founder of Nike. And that was very, very inspiring. It was fascinating for me to see how much adversity that, uh, that guy had in order to build Nike and through how many stages and how very close to bankruptcy he was to, to get to becoming the 20th richest person in the world uh, but it was a journey and exactly he was obsessed and he was resilient and he had a very good team if you have the good team if you are resilient and you have a passion and the vision for what you do I think there is no way that you will not get to where you want to awesome and the very last part for you today are some rapid fire questions to wrap up the episode so I give you a choice or a short question and you either make one choice or uh, an answer in a simple sentence. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. So the first question is Europe, China or United States? <laughs> well, I, today I would definitely say Europe. Okay, and why? Switzerland. <laughs> Switzerland, why? <laughs> I mean, depending in which, which the context is, right? Um, I think we all know why I would say United States is not a good timing, just exactly right now. Um, China, for whatever reason, never really attracted me. And, um. So Europe is the only one that's left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I told you, you have to start with what you don't want. <laughs> yes. 
and you find what you like. Um, I believe that Europe has a lot of potential also in business. There are a lot of um, opportunities, especially when it comes to digitalization. I know it's highly fragmented, many different languages, uh, but there are so many different opportunities when it comes to digitalization, especially in healthcare space, that now it's the right timing. And why Switzerland, I think... Um, Switzerland, it's, um, yeah, it's, sometimes I feel it's a, it's a bubble. I, I, I love Switzerland, right? I, I moved here, um, 11 years ago and I had a fantastic opportunity, um, to live here and to meet very nice people, uh, Swiss people, international people. And, um, yeah, I would not trade it. Awesome. <laughs> Wealth or happiness? Happiness, for sure, because um, if you're not happy and um, satisfied with your life, um, wealth means absolutely nothing. And if you are happy, you can build any wealth you want. Happy and healthy. Awesome. What makes you smile? Um, as you probably realize by now, I smile quite often. <laughs> so, um, yeah, any good chat, um meeting people, fascinating people, dancing, enjoying the nature, good music. Um, and um, yeah, seeing, um, growing generally, growing, developing. Where do you go to think? I like, I, I very much enjoy walks in the nature and um, yeah, I also go to the gym, but I don't think so much in the gym. Um, but I, I very much enjoy walking in the natures. Awesome. And the last one, I already have an assumption what your answer will be, but you grew up in Romania, you live in Switzerland, so Switzerland or Romania? <laughs> What's your <laughs> hunch? <laughs> well, I guess for what you just said, probably Switzerland at the moment, but I'm not yeah, sure. I think, uh, you know, I live here for 11 years and I live here by choice, not because Switzerland is a wealthy country or... I know people who live in Switzerland and I ask them, why do you live in Switzerland? Oh, because um, it's um, because of my salary, because of work. I would never do that. I think life is too short to live in a place just because of a paycheck at the end of the month. Um, but for me, Switzerland became my home. I, I met, I have my best friends here and... Some of them are Swiss, some of them are international. I love the nature. Uh, you are in a few minutes in the mountains. Uh, you are at the lake. You feel you are almost um, in uh, the seaside. You go to Ticino, you really feel like you're in the seaside. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, um, I absolutely found my place. Awesome. I think that's a great place to end this episode. Luisa, thank you so much for your time and the great insights today. Wish you lots of success with the upcoming fundraising round and everything else you tackle with Comet Health. All the best. Thank you so much, Sylvan. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. Stay connected with the Swisspreneur community through our LinkedIn and Instagram profiles. Make sure to subscribe to our show on whatever podcast platform you're using. See you next week for a brand new episode of The Swisspreneur Show.